The unofficial Shopify podcast is supported by e-commerce bootcamp, a new strategy guide from the hosts of this very show. In it, you'll learn the insider secrets of starting, growing, and marketing a successful Shopify business that supports the life you want. For a free sample chapter and a special offer, visit ecommerce-bootcamp.com today. Hello and welcome back to this episode of the unofficial Shopify podcast. I'm your host, Kurt Elster, and joining me today is serial entrepreneur Diana House from Tiny Devotions. Diana, how are you? I'm doing so great. Thanks so much for having me on, Kurt. My pleasure. Uh, Where are you calling from? I am in London, Ontario, Canada, which is two hours southwest of Toronto, uh, between Toronto and Detroit. Huh. And you split your time between two cities, correct? Yeah, me and uh, my husband and I, we travel quite a bit, but we spend a lot of time in San Diego. So our Canadian winters are pretty harsh. So we, we try to spend as much time as we can in the warm. So you're living the dream. It's pretty the, good. The entrepreneurial I mean, dream, the, you know, the, the remote work life, like you're, you're doing it. You've well, made it work. I think there's this really great quote and it's, with absolute freedom comes absolute responsibility. So yes, I, I definitely think I am living the dream. I have a lot of freedom, but I also, it is very intense and, and very stressful and a lot of responsibility. So it definitely is a double-edged sword. Yeah. That's sort of like, there's that, um, well, I've, I, I've gotten into this discussion before the, the issue I think with the American public school system is it's like, there's this whole carrot and stick thing that you have your whole life. So you have a teacher who's like, well, if you don't do your work, you're going to fail. And then you have your parents who are saying like, well, you know, you got to clean your room or you're grounded. And then you get a boss and your boss is like, well, you got to do your work or you're fired. And then once you're your own boss, like that, the carrot and stick are gone. It's just you. And you need to have the discipline to move your business forward. Oh, absolutely. You don't have a boss, which sounds like the most amazing thing in the world until you don't because have a boss. Because of cancelless Fridays, right? <laughs> well, I mean, we have an office. So uh, I don't, I'm more yeah, kind you of have, a... you have an office and staff and yeah, you know, you've so grown a big business. We do have a pants requirement in the office. So. Okay. Okay. My <laughs> office does not. <laughs> All right. So back on topic. Um, so your your Shopify store is Tiny Devotions. Tell How long has Tiny Devotions been around? Tell me about it. Sure. So Tiny Devotions um, has been around for five years and we've been on Shopify for four of those years. Um, And how the company started, I was actually in law school in Australia and I knew I absolutely did not want to be a lawyer. And (laughs) (laughs) because really, who does? I mean, there's some people who really love law and those people, bless bless their souls. It just wasn't me. And I ended up in Bali really on a on a hunt for two things. One, I was doing a yoga teacher training to kind of recover okay. from law school. And then, <laughs> makes sense. and then secondly, I was really on the hunt for what I was going to do with my life after and on the lookout for what the next big thing was. I had my hand and my eyes kind of on the pulse of what was happening in the yoga industry. And it was really exploding at that time. And I was also very closely watching Lululemon Athletica, which I know it's quite right. popular in the U.S. It's insanely popular in Canada. And Lululemon sells yoga-inspired apparel. And while I was in Bali, I discovered a yoga-inspired accessory trend that I identified and then saw that no one was leveraging in North America. So 
So you saw the opportunity and went for it. I saw the opportunity. And at that point, I was literally looking at every opportunity that crossed my path each day. So like one day I'd wake up and I was like, is it going to be importing art from Bali? The next day I'd wake up, I was like, am I going to be running yoga retreats? Like I was really, really searching. And it was a very intense kind of time of trying to figure that out. That's um, one of the, the toughest things that people struggle with is it's like, okay, once I've made the decision, I'm going to do something on my own. Then it's, well, what do I do? And then you realize like there's an entire world of things you could do. And how do you know which is the right one? Oh, it's such a hard decision. And I know we were briefly talking about this a little bit before we started recording. I think one really great way to do this, if you don't have you know the million dollar idea, is potentially purchasing a business from someone who's already established an idea who has either, you know, maybe got tired of it or has, you know, too many opportunities that they can deal with. Um, that's one way of doing it. Another way is, you know, I think spending time around entrepreneurs. Entrepreneurs are usually very creative and there's sometimes an entrepreneur who's already 100% in on another project and who might have another idea. And I find entrepreneurs are very generous and are able to sometimes kind of give you, you know, that free idea of like, hey, you know, I have this other idea. I don't have time to develop it right now. And, you know, as you know, entrepreneurship, it's all about execution and not so much about the idea. So that's such a, you know, one of the ways I could tell people who have like, who are, they're on their first, you know, entrepreneurial endeavor is they want me to sign an NDA. Oh my gosh. And I'm like, okay, because you think the idea is the important thing. No, no, no. I have no time and no interest in executing and stealing your idea because I I'm I know the sheer amount of work that would be involved. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I, I think I, that's why entrepreneurs will often you're right, like will have great ideas and it's like you want to see it happen. So you tell people, you're like, you someone please make this idea work. I think it's great. Yeah. And I think the other filter is once you think you found the idea, it's really important to do a very, very deep dive into what's currently happening in that industry because oftentimes someone's doing it, which isn't the deal breaker, but if someone is doing it best in the world, I would not even bother getting into that industry unless yeah, you have something no really unique. If no one's doing it, and at yeah. the same time, if no one's doing it, that might tell you, hey, maybe this isn't a great idea. True, but that's what happened with Tiny Devotion. So at the time, no one was doing it. And this was my first business. So I didn't fully understand what it meant to be an entrepreneur. And because no one was doing it, everyone thought what I was doing was crazy. <laughs> so I had a lot of resistance from friends, from family. Part of that resistance coming from people thinking it was insane that I was walking away from a law career to sell these necklaces. Oh, you um, got to ignore those people. Oh, it was tough though. It was really tough. Um, but the other resistance was like, I was literally blazing kind of a new trail and relatively early in the e-commerce world, uh, you know, five years ago was a lot less competitive. There it's was a, a, things are a lot different between yeah five years. Like that's when I got into just, um, well, f- five years ago is when I started, uh, being an independent freelancer, you know, back then I was just some web designer, but you're like, you know, comparing the landscape then versus now it's tremendously different. It's insane. It's everything like from like Facebook used to, I mean, and I'm sure you've heard this and Facebook used to be amazing. It used to be so easy. It used to be such a big opportunity. And, you know, now it's, you know, pay to play. Um, yep. It's very busy. There's so much congestion. Um, it's really hard to be very effective and it just costs a lot more money to have a lot of traction through Facebook. 
Yeah. And I think like they were smart in purchasing Instagram because Instagram very much became the next Facebook as far as like cheap, effective, good ad channel. Um, what, uh, what's been a good, uh, what's a, a couple effective channels you use now? So this is, I think, literally the you know $10 million question, what traction channel to use? Um, we're very heavy on social media. So we do Facebook, Instagram, uh, Twitter. Um, we do do you know, Facebook ads. We do Google ads as well. Um, but I've been a little bit frustrated with those channels because they just don't have um, the results that they used to. So yeah, one, and you're not the first person to say that. Yeah, like exactly. It's, it's not old you. News. It's not exactly you know, any indication of you failing at it. It's for sure. So it's becoming so complicated and so um, I don't know, maybe overwhelmed. And at the same time, I think consumers are getting wiser to it. It feels like a traffic jam. Yes, that's what it feels like. So when that happens, it's great. And that's normal. I think, you know, if you're an entrepreneur, you have to get used to the fact that you're going to go in into a channel, you're going to go in deep, it's going to be amazing. And then it's going to dry up and you just got to move on to the next thing. And, you know, that's very normal. Um, so the one thing that I've been thinking about is because we're a bit more, you know, we're, we're quite established and we, we do have quite a bit of resources and capital, um, was what are kind of channels that we can go after that are a lot more capital intensive and the one that we've landed on has been public relations. So, oh, I love PR. It scares people, but it's oh, it, it scares me. It's very time consuming. <laughs> so, yeah, we hired a publicist. Um, she's in California, which for our brand is the perfect place because that's where all the celebrities are. And although oh, I'm absolutely. not, this feel your this feels very, uh, very Bay Area. <laughs> yeah, I'm not a celebrity focused person, but again, the company's not about me. It's about, you know, our customers and it's about the market. Well, and that's an important lesson that mo a lot of entrepreneurs like it really through experience they have to learn is, you know, it's not about you, it's about your customer. For sure, and and it's about like how how does consumer behavior work and fortunately or unfortunately, celebrities often drive a lot of consumer behavior, you know, with publications like, you know, Us Weekly and People Magazine um, oh, and all sure. those. And so we've identified because, because we were first, um, we got to experience, you know, the kind of horrifying thing of having like literally hundreds of people copy us, which at first was really painful and now is really more of a compliment and really, I think, propels and pushes us further to kind of up our game. And it, in it, you have to look at it like, yeah, it is frustrating you know, to have those copycats. And I've literally like seen people where they won't even share their store URL with me because they're like, well, I don't want any copycats. Like, okay. Um, you got to get over that. <laughs> yeah. Get, get over it. Um, you're right. But at the same time, it's like, it's almost like those people are validating your idea for totally. you. Totally. And I mean, there are advantages and disadvantages. The disadvantages is they can really drive the value of your product down if you haven't uh, created an established brand that's strong enough to sustain it. So, you know, with our product, there are people selling it on Etsy for a fraction, like not our product, but a similar copied version of our product. You know, is it made with sustainable materials? Probably not. Does it have the high quality of gemstones that we use? Probably not. Um, Do they engage in any quality assurance whatsoever? Yeah, probably not. Probably not. You know, does it have our beautiful packaging? Um, does it have the same customer service experience? D does it um, include them in the same community? Like, you know, we have so many differentiators. 
Um, but, th- but that's a negative effect of, of what can happen when someone has seen you go and create a company and it's successful. The great thing, though, it, it has forced us to really, really up our game. And some of our internal dialogue is saying things like, is that Etsy? Whatever that is, like, if we're rolling out new packaging, we'll be like, is that Etsy? Okay. Hmm. Is there any fragment of Etsy in that packaging? If so, we've gone the wrong way. So we've really tried to differentiate on the luxury side with every single thing we do, whether it's our marketing, our new product development, our packaging, um, our tags, our ribbon, and and so on. So, um, yeah, so, so you know, it, like someone may take a superficial glance at it and say, oh, they're just making beaded bracelets. But you just ran through, you know, a whole, you know, half a dozen things um, that go beyond it and make it so much more complicated. For sure. It's, it's you know, it's never just about the product, right? It's about, you know, it's about the experience. Totally. And it's about like how you name your products, the descriptions that you use on online, people's experience with the brand. And, you know, one of the things that we're doing next year, for instance, um, is we're holding a retreat that's, uh, we haven't nailed the location. We're considering either Hawaii or Bali right now that will actually allow members of our community to go travel with like-minded individuals. So our customer is, you know, very into yoga and wellness and kind of a bohemian way of life, even if they're, you know, making six figures and working, you know, a corporate job and working in the suburbs. That's um, amazing. So mm-hmm. what you've done really, I mean, you've gone from like, instead of just a customer makes a one-time purchase of what's ostensibly a piece of jewelry to they are now part of a community and movement. So like, I didn't even know that. Talk to me. How does the the community portion of it work? For sure. So it plays out kind of in, in two kind of main ways. The first way is when people see someone wearing a tiny devotions mala, they instantly connect with them and they instantly know that these people, so our, our mission as a company is to live with intention. So we really sell kind of two things, significance and, and growth. So when someone sees someone wearing an, uh, another product from Tiny Devotions, they automatically know that they're the Tiny Devotions girl. And it pretty much means that they, they've got to be interesting. They're into travel. You know, they're spiritual. They're into, you know, living an inspiring life. So it's this instant friendship that is bonded between those two people. The other way that it's really played out is through our online community. So we are very active on Facebook and Instagram. And I think Instagram is really the place where our community is really living right now. And, you know, there's so many conversations that happen between our community through our Instagram account. I think a lot really of forges that. Instagram really does work well and appeal to um, anything lifestyle related. And it really is an incredible community, um, especially like for hobbyists, niche folks. And it transcends groups like I've had so many clients in different spaces that are like, oh yeah, I've got this incredible like grassroots movement going, you know, they've told a similar story and it's always about Instagram, which you wouldn't expect, but like maybe it's because Instagram is so visual or it's so simple. I don't know. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not sure exactly why, but yeah, for, for products that have like a very design focus and beautiful, like beautiful and lifestyle images, it just seems really, really natural. And, um, you know, the linking isn't as powerful as Facebook. So tracking, you know, people from Instagram to your site is a little bit trickier, but yeah. you can just At tell the, same the time, impact. It makes it, you know, it, it adds like a sense of purity to Instagram that keeps it from ever getting too sleazy. Totally. Right? Like that may be like, I'm sure that's by design, 
you know, for that sure. you can't, it's like URLs don't get acknowledged in descriptions. <laughs> they just quietly ignore them. <laughs> exactly. But yeah, so going back to this concept of, of PR, we identified PR as a, as a kind of a barrier to entry for a lot of these smaller companies who are copying us. That said, I know a lot of your viewers might be just, you know, starting a company or considering a company, and there are still really great ways for them to get involved in PR. Um, one of them is obviously, you know, if you're kind of a team of one, uh, doing it yourself and, and reaching out to local publications, you know, newspapers and magazines, as well as different organizations that you might be part of, you know, maybe the college that you went to, you know, if you're part of a sorority, uh, you know, the small business enterprise center or in your, in your community. Um, and then as a next step to that, I know a lot of the um, smaller kind of companies or entrepreneurs that I'm friends with who have maybe less budgets, they find these very hungry young freelancers who are able to work on, you know, a much smaller budget, um, you know, will they get, you know, the Today Show or The View? Maybe not, but they're sometimes able to get, you know, some really solid um, publication hits through resources like Harrow, which is um, Help a Reporter Out, which... Oh, that very much helped me. That that helped launch my career. Was yeah. Oh, so yeah. much like Facebook, Harrow, unfortunately, is also extremely infiltrated right now. So very competitive to get um, a response on Harrow now. You ha- Yeah, you have to make it. Um, so talk, I love the uh, PR as a concept. It's great. Um, the uh, But fundamentally, it's, you know, public relations. It's about relationships. Um and I think journalists uh, are are in and get more email than anyone could possibly imagine. So when you're responding to those, when you're writing to a journalist, you need to be like do two things: try and build a relationship with them, and be really respectful of their time by making anything you're asking them to do as easy as possible. Absolutely. So like when I was, I mean, my trick with responding to Haro, and I don't do it anymore because I saw you know a, a steep drop off in responses <laughs> with it. Um, but years ago, it was like. Okay, here's exactly the soundbite quote you want for the answer to your question. Here is my bio, and here is how to get me for more information. Send. <laughs> totally. Like you just want to make it like copy and paste done. Absolutely. Well, and that's if you know you're doing it yourself. Obviously, um, there's a couple. Do you? Uh, I know you hired someone to do it, and you made a great suggestion, which is you know hire a freelancer to do it. Get um, you know what a friend of mine, uh, the way he did it was hire. Um, he goes for um, college marketing students and that's great experience for them. And they're like, um, they're usually good writers. Um, they're usually hard workers. Like they work very well, but for a short time, because once they graduate, now you're just another line item on their resume. Right. And, and it depends, right? Like with every, with everything, there's going to be great people and there's going to be terrible people. And, you know, some people are going to be really good at it and sometimes you're going to get lucky. And with anything, again, you have to manage them and give them kind of some kind of guidance and benchmarks. Um, and I think sometimes chasing these really big organizations with newer PR professionals is extremely challenging because they don't have the connections. So, right. And that's, I think, I think the, like you could do PR yourself, you know, it's a matter of sending, sending emails essentially, but having like the big advantage you get with a professional is they often already have the relationships, you know, where they can just reach out to someone with a one line email and be like, you know, Hey John, here's this, this great product. Would you be interested in writing a review about it, doing an interview, doing a feature story, that kind of thing. The connections I think is literally 80% of it. Oh, absolutely. So we were in people magazine last week. I think we actually were on people or people online, people.com three times or, and, and literally 
it wouldn't have mattered how many times I emailed them. Like I just didn't have the connection. Yeah, for stuff like that, you can't do it. Yeah, our publicist had the connection. So, you know, and and she hustles. So not only does she have the connection, she is like a hardcore hustler. Our values really align. Um, So that's why it's a good fit. (laughs) That's And I'm I'm glad to hear you say that. I mean, the like... (laughs) The one person I know who's essentially a PR professional um, is Kai Davis. He marks it as SEO outreach, um, but really it's he's a PR pro. He just doesn't want to call it that. Um, and because his, PR like, gets a bad name. Yeah. Well, and SEO gets a bad name and PR gets a bad name. So he sort of invented this new category where he's like, it's really, it's PR for the intention of getting you backlinks. Um, but he, like he's uh, written a book with his email outreach flows and it's like unbelievable I mean, he'll hit someone up like seven times just to try and get an introduction. Well, you have to. I mean, even online, they say like it takes seven to 17 touches to get a yes, whether it's through B2B sales, whether it's through, you know, advertising or whether it's through PR, like one email is not going to do anything anymore. Oh, yeah. Well, and think about just like you know, in, in terms of e-commerce, like with a customer, we know on average, it's, you know, something like for a typical site, a customer may visit the site five times before they buy. Totally. So, I mean, each one of those was a touch. Um, and that's where it's often good to set up these sales funnels where rather than they visit your site and you're like, hey, buy, buy, buy Amala. You're instead saying, well, hey, follow us on Instagram or join our newsletter. Cause those are like a series of, of touches and yeses until the person has made their own decision to purchase. Totally. You, there's an interesting thing I noticed in decision that you've made on, okay. on your website. I want to get the URL. Uh, lovetinydevotions.com, which we'll link to it in the show notes, of course. Check it out. It's very pretty. Um, I do like it a lot. Um, it's for such a good example of like how, um, how color, uh, getting good color really communicates, can communicate a brand. Mm. Um, but all right, that's an aside. That's my designer self-speaking. Um, <laughs> So your homepage is, is WordPress, and then as soon as I click through, depending on the content, I end up on a Shopify store, and they've been themed very well where it's seamless. I can't tell. Tell me about that. Okay, so you brought up two things. The first thing is our company is called Tiny Devotions, and our website is tinydevotions.com. What you identified was that the site is actually sitting on lovetinydevotions.com. And okay, that is. I, yeah, I thought, I'm like, <laughs> I'm pretty sure, like, when I went to it, it was tinydevotions.com. Yeah. So, what okay. that was is that was called a novice mistake. So, <laughs> <laughs> this, five, is the, so this is the really valuable stuff. Let's okay. get into the mistakes. Okay. What would so, you do over? <laughs> so, five years ago, when I started Tiny Devotions, I was like, okay, this is the company, this is the name. I went and looked to see if the domain name was available. It was. I went and printed, you know, all my business cards and all my marketing material. And as soon as I went to go buy the site after that, it was gone. Oh no. Yeah. So I was like, okay, well, this is already the company name. You know, I had already gone ahead and like started my trademark and all that stuff. It just, I don't know who bought this name. Funny enough, about two years later, I was randomly talking to someone. I forget. He was like a marketing guy and and he was like, hey, I just want to let you know tinydevotions.com is now available again. So I was like, Hmm. oh, wow. Okay. I'm so lucky. So obviously I bought it up right now. We haven't done the migration onto tinydevotions.com yet. And that's been, we've kind of been scared about SEO. 
We're very highly ranked for a lot of our keywords and specifically mala beads. So uh, you might be able to speak to that, whether it'll actually have some impact, but we've scheduled that to happen in 2016 to migrate everything back onto Tiny Devotions and kind of stop using the love Tiny Devotions because it's kind of confusing from a brand perspective. So if you were, um, yeah, I mean, it, it's tough and you're, you're right to be worried and there will be a bump in the road along the way. Um, but essentially like the URLs themselves aren't changing, you know, it's only the domain name is all the URLs stay the same. Um, and let's ignore the WordPress part and say, we're just on Shopify. If you had just added, you know, you add the multiple domains to your Shopify store and just say, okay, this is now my primary domain and redirect all traffic here. It's smart enough to every time someone hits up that link, it will respond with, okay, this is a redirect and this is the new permanent URL. Um, and at the same time, it also builds, would automatically build new sitemaps and Google would find that. Um, and there would be a little little bump with search traffic, um, but it would very quickly go back to the way it was and all that, that we'll say link juice for lack of a better term should pass through. Cool. Maybe we'll hire you to do that for us in 2016 <laughs> then. Um, but yeah, so your second question was, why do we have a WordPress and a Shopify site? which was something we were very much debating. So about a year ago is when we did our last website redesign and redevelopment. And we were actually on Shopify and Silverstripe. So I, I don't know so why. Two concurrent e-commerce platforms. Well, Silverstripe is, it can be like a WordPress, but it also at one point had a custom. Um, so how we started the brief history is we had, first we just had a website on Silverstripe. Then our phase two was then we had our website and then a custom developed. And again, people don't do this anymore. But at the time, I don't know if Shopify even existed or if it was, you know, very popular. You know, people got custom shops built. So we right. had. Yeah. A, oh, you want to build a website and everyone started everything custom. And yeah. It was, you know, so a nightmare to maintain. But that's, for, that is what you did. For $1,200, I got a custom shop built, which was, you know, I thought very reasonable and it was great. I had oh, no totally. problem with it. But after a while, you know, we had to progress to something that, you know, offered a little bit more um, flexibility and, and different apps on it and more features. And that's when we kind of switched to Shopify for the shop portion, but still held the Silver Stripe. So the Silver Stripe was this archaic um, CMS that no one knew how to use, except for the one developer who <laughs> coded it for us. And it was actually an Australian CMS. So there was a lot of anxiety for us as a company when we were actually getting rid of Silverstripe because, again, we were scared about the SEO impact. So because we were very SEO focused and because we were ranked very highly, we thought that maybe it would ease the transition um, to not change the lovetinyvotions.com, just move on to the Shopify and WordPress. And we, we were told by some people that Shopify wasn't strong enough for SEO for the content side? I've heard that criticism too, and I don't know where it comes from. Yeah, I think it's I, just people, you know, are, are too caught up in how fiddly you can get with WordPress. Yeah, I think people are obsessed with WordPress for content, whether that makes sense or not. To be honest, I think maybe you would know better um, than I would. We just actually moved. So we had um, an external blog called Boho Daily. That was another complication to the site that we've, we've just let go of that complication. So I think, I think the motto of the story is this, the simpler, the better. Absolutely. And I think we've all learned that lesson. <laughs> yeah. And any kind of complexity adds, you know, more time, more headaches. 
and I think very rarely adds more success and results. So if I was starting a Shopify store today, I would complete, unless I was already a top tier blogger, I would completely forget about this WordPress thing. And I would, I would build everything on Shopify and start from there and just really focus and become best in the world at Shopify. And then if I, if you think, you know, you're not getting the results that you're wanting, you know, two years in, then maybe kind of look at other possibilities with adding WordPress and things like that. But I definitely would not do that again if I was I, starting today. I totally agree with you. And the the number one the number one reason why is simplicity because you end up like, you know, how many websites do you want to maintain is the issue, number one. Um, and then two, you end up with, you know, even if it's on a subdomain, Google still treats those metrics as uh, like related but separate. Um, so you're really building, you're like trying to maintain and build SEO for two separate sites. Yeah. Um, it's, it just gets so confusing. Yeah. And then even for like tracking, it gets confusing. So right. even right now, um, you know, for Google analytics, if people are landing on our WordPress and then going to our Shopify, it's just confusing. So I, I regret doing that. It hasn't caused a lot of, you know, damage. It's just more annoying. Yeah. And really, I think the only time it would make sense to start that way is if, exactly what you said i mean you um you got it on the nose is you're starting as a publisher so if your your focus is purely on like all right i'm going to build an audience with content all right then start with wordpress and then add shopify as a subdomain um and i've seen a couple places do that very successfully um but they their focus first was publishing not selling right um and then if you know, you're right. It's like, just start with the one. And then later it's, if you feel, okay, well, we've got, you know, we've hired writers full time and we, we've got this big focus on publishing. Okay. Then add, you know, WordPress as a subdomain, um, and work with that. But otherwise like, oh, you're <laughs> just making your life so complicated. Which costs you money, you know, it, when you, especially when you have staff, the more complicated yeah, it is. Money. Yeah. It, well, time is money, right? So yeah, <laughs> pretty much. Yeah. No, I mean, that's why, like, and we were talking earlier, why um, we're both uh, obsessive with um, processes and, and just systematizing things because it saves time. So what would be, um, you know, we're coming up, we got, uh, say, five minutes left. What would be one tip you'd give for someone um, who's just starting out you know, with their, their Shopify store, who's early in their career? Like you've clearly, you know, you've been around five years. Um, this is tremendously successful for you. What, what advice do you have? Hmm. My one golden ticket tip. Um, I think the first thing that comes to mind, and I know it's very daunting for people, is if there's any way you can hire someone, whether it's you know a contractor or outsourcing something, try to do that sooner than later. So when I started um, Tiny Devotions, you know, my first month, I did absolutely everything. You know, I made the products, I um, did all the shipping, I did all the marketing, I did all the social media. And that first kind of month when the shop was up was absolutely insane. It was one of the best and worst months of my life because I, I was up till two in the morning every day and it was just completely unsustainable. And um, sorry, someone's just out my door. Thankfully, he just went away. Okay, we're back. Um, it was completely unsustainable. So the next month I realized... I need I need help. And I realized, you know what? Making the mala beads is not my best use of time. 
that was kind of my first epiphany. And then every month I got a little bit smarter with the next thing and I realized, you know, okay, shipping the products myself isn't the best use of my time. And I'm a marketing person. I, I really enjoy marketing. And once I kind of freed up that time to not be making the products and not shipping and doing customer service, it really freed up a lot of time for me to do some serious, you know, business development and growth. And I know that this might feel, you know, kind of unattainable for some people. So I guess what I would urge them is, you know, it doesn't have to be a full-time 40-hour-a-week employee that you're hiring, but some kind of help to do the tasks that really bog you down. Because, you know, as entrepreneurs, we think we, think we can do everything and we absolutely cannot. And it really wears on you in the long run if you're trying to wear all those hats. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, there's so many, there's so many things that eat up time for two reasons. They eat up time. And I I refuse to believe that everyone is great at everything. So like if you identify the one thing that you're both great at and love, you know, that adds value to your business, work on whittling away everything else until you're doing just that. Um, and you're right, like, it's scary to hire full-time employees. And I don't think anyone's saying like, that's how you start, you know, like for bookkeeping, you know, I, I have a service for a hundred bucks a month that does the bookkeeping for me. So I don't have to worry about it. Um, but you can hire virtual assistants, a uh, hundred bucks a month. That's amazing. What yeah, service um, is that? Uh, there's two that are fantastic. Um, uh, bench.co is, is great. And, um, uh, autopilot by less accounting. Awesome. So less accounting is its own accounting software. And then they have, um, a version of it called autopilot where they'll do it all. F- um, essentially they'll just run the software for you. Wow. See, that's, that's amazing. Yeah. So the, I guess the other thing would be, we have a full-time finance, um, person on our team. So, you know, I'm not doing any kind of daily transactions. I am doing a lot of analysis and I actually love doing that, but it took me about three years to love the finance side of it. So that would be something that would be really important too, is like, you need to kind of at the beginning fall in love with the number side or find a partner who loves the numbers because so much of business is numbers. And a lot of entrepreneurs kind of want to avoid the numbers. They're either intimidated or they don't think it's creative. I actually think now that I've kind of accepted that numbers are awesome, it's so creative and it's so fun. And it's such an opportunity for growth when you start to really understand, you know, what's happening. Absolutely. Yeah. It gives you that, um, you know, that 30,000 foot view of your business. And then when you start diving into it, you know, you start getting to do fun things like, you know, looking for ways to exploit the 80, 20 rule. Um, and that, that's always a good time just trying to find the, those insights. Totally. So where could people go to learn more about you, um, and your, your business? For sure. So, uh, as you mentioned, tiny devotions is at tinydevotions.com. And you can find us on Instagram, Twitter, Pinterest, Snapchat, all the usual suspects. Um, you can also find me on Twitter. I'm Diana House with an underscore at the end. And I also have um, a website, uh, dianahouse.com. Um, it's, it's pretty basic. It's just a shell of the different projects that I'm, I'm working on. Wonderful. Well, yeah. Okay. So thank you for your insights um, into uh, really your journey as an entrepreneur. Um, and to our listeners, you know, however you heard about this, you can find out more about the show, subscribe to it at unofficialshopfypodcast.com. Thanks, awesome. everybody. Thanks so much, Kurt. Thank you. Our program was produced today by Paul Rita. 
The unofficial Shopify podcast is distributed by EtherCycle LLC. We'll be back next week with more value bombs for Shopify store owners. If you're looking for more high quality and actionable advice on learning the business of e-commerce, join thousands of other Shopify store owners on our totally free newsletter at e-commerce bootcamp. That's e-commerce-bootcamp.com.